Voices in My Head is created and hosted by Yami Radhar. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. We disclaim responsibility for any adverse effects that may arise from any information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guests' qualifications or credibility. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician. One doesn't have to be a combat soldier or visit a refugee camp in Syria to encounter trauma. Trauma just happens to you and to pe- the people around you. A lot of people wanted to talk about sexual assault and they wanted to know and verify or validate with someone else is this what's happening to me normal mm-hmm. and where can i seek help when i was really young i think i was 10 years old he came over to my birth and he stuck his tongue in my ear and was trying to i don't know what he was doing he was doing something that didn't feel right my decision to move away did it get solidified with me not wanting to be in india anymore and so create the distance take, yeah create a distance like that was just this, that's all i could do to keep myself safe out of body experience that you feel that this yeah. is happening to someone and this is what is trauma this is what yeah. we call trauma and this is what actually this ep- this this episode of this podcast and i haven't mentioned this word uh, purposely before this is this is what i wanted this podcast to be about is about trauma and dealing with trauma and I think there's a lot of confusion. I don't really want anything for me, but mm. there are so many people who live in this world who don't have a voice. Yeah. Who haven't found the strength. It took me 20 years, so it's not like, you know, this is happening every day. It is very real and as a parent, it couldn't be nothing could be scarier than this. Mm-hmm. Nothing could be scarier than this. So how how should I kind of find the perfect therapist for me? Just meet a few, like interview them almost. Mm-hmm. Indians were sexually molested yeah. as a child and and it's important to remember these things because only then will you be able to do something about it. Hey, welcome to Voices in My Head. and i told you before this is a podcast where we discuss wellness and i bring interesting people to you the reason i love podcasting so much is i'm speaking to someone today who is sitting thousands of miles away in new york there are no rules in this game anymore the idea is to bring good content to you i couldn't wait till she reached delhi so we're doing this using skype and using the best technology we have at hand to give you this experience so it's not going to be cinematic quality like uh, the other episodes that perhaps you've been used to seeing but uh, it's going to be good to hear what she has to say i'm still guilty of bringing only pretty women to the podcast so i do apologize for that and i will uh, try and change that and maybe bring you some pretty men next time keshav if you're listening you're up for round 2 uh, so I want to start by telling you that this is a person that I perhaps reconnected with um, two and a half decades after I had seen her last, and she was a friend of my sister's from CJM, which is a school that I have a love-hate relationship with, or maybe I should say love-love relationship with. 
Ashna, how are you? Let me bring you in I'm now. I'm great. How are you? I'm, <laughs> thank I'm you for good. Doing this. And thank you for doing this at night uh, because it's in New York. It's night. What's the time there right now? It's almost 10:30 p.m. But I'm a night owl. I know. So, so and and I'm a, <laughs> clearly a morning person. So uh, I would have been like asleep by the time if we if we uh, you know did it then. So I want to quickly um, you know I just want to let the people listening just give a quick introduction about you. So you went to. CJM in Delhi and and that's where I probably saw you last. I must have been five or six years old and <laughs> I, I as as being the bratty younger brother obviously I had a crush on all my sister's friends and I'm <laughs> sure you were, you know, in that long list of, of girls <laughs> who I was, you know, first perhaps exposed to going to Columbus and, and <laughs> so obviously CJM in Columbus had this uh, you know, you know the story of CJM and Columbus. Yes. And so, you know, w- w- something that I didn't know that you went to England in, in 97 and then you haven't come back home since. And you went to study knitwear design. Yes. So that's interesting. I didn't know that you could study knitwear like, you know, as a subject. So clearly this is, you know, some, I'm going to be, you know, we're going to be discussing that because then after that you did a, a four year stint um with uh, a company and, and a one-year internship as well which brought you to new york the four-year was a program at universities called a sandwich program in england so you study for the first two years mm-hmm. then you apply in um, a work environment an internship you apply what you learned the first two years and then if you're still dedicated enough you go back and finish and get a degree wow well, you were so you were dedicated I, was. I, I, we, I graduated with like 12 of my um, classmates. Wow. Um, we started with 22. Some people didn't come back. <laughs> <laughs> because what, they didn't find knitwear interesting enough? Or? No, they just felt like having the internship, having the work experience, and they thought they saw what real um, world looked like, mm-hmm. what it would be to get a paycheck. So they're like, why do you need the degree to start working? So. And after that, you went on to, so you're working with a startup, Jed, Jed Official. I checked out the website, pretty cool. Yeah, right now I'm working with them. I moved here like pretty much right after college. Mm-hmm. Um, I was dating my husband at the time already. You've been um, married for engaged. 17 years. Uh, that's, like, kind of, <laughs> you know, that's that's long. Yeah, I, I it completed, went like, really fast. I don't know. I don't know how that happened, but it feels like we just got married and suddenly we live here and we have two kids and we're very settled. And I don't know. Life is good. We're happy. Like wow, It's wow. just uh, so we've you, been together you, 20 years. So. And you've got you've got two uh, two boys, two boys, seven and nine, wow. and a dog Lucy, who's probably sleeping right next to me. Oh wow! Know. Yeah, I can just I can see her in your in the in, in the camera. Yeah, she's like here. Hi. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, yeah. but the, you know, most importantly, um, you you've done so much stuff professionally that perhaps it's too much to cover in in one go. But what's obviously and when people are going to be wondering why you're here. Uh, for those of you, for those who don't already know you, uh, and I can say that you have a bit of a cult status in Delhi for uh, what we're going to discuss in a bit. So, what's important is you are at the national leader. You are at the national leadership council level for RAIN. That's R A I N N. That's an abbreviation for Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. It's the largest, uh, you know, national anti-sexual violence organization in the U.S. Right. That's right. And you guys operate the, you know, the the National Sexual Assault Hotline, hotline. Mm-hmm. and that's you you set it up too. 
Right? Yeah, it's really powerful. Like it was one of the first. It was the first company that set up an organization that set up this um, hotline because they found that a lot of people wanted to talk about sexual assault and they wanted to know and verify or validate with someone else. Is this what's happening to me normal? Mm-hmm. And where can I seek help? Right. And it didn't exist. So Rain was one of the first organizations to set this up in the U.S. and it's touched many people. Wow. So I'm going to you know, come back to that in when in, uh, in further in the discussion. You also do a lot of volunteer work, including with Make-A-Wish Foundation and you're a fitness freak, which I love. And nutrition mm-hmm. is also a key area of your interest. So I, I, would, I love quizzing people on what they eat, how they keep themselves fit. Mm-hmm. And you run two marathons, right? So you run the NYC yes. Marathon in 2016 and then you did Berlin in 2017 if I'm not mistaken. That's right. How do you, I, I'd love to get into how how, mm-hmm. how does someone like me who doesn't run too much get into like maybe training for a marathon and, and obviously the runners high and, and you know discuss those things with you. <laughs> well it doesn't happen overnight. I started, I had an Achilles tendon rupture in 2013 December. Oh my and God. That's painful. Yeah, I was in San Francisco. Yes, I didn't know what it was, but I was like, oh, I hear this pop. And I used to play badminton as a kid. In school, I played a lot of badminton. So it happened in San Francisco playing badminton. I just took a step and I was like, it doesn't feel good and I can't put any weight on it. Mm-hmm. Went to Stanford Hospital. They said, oh, you ruptured it. I'm like, Ouch. like a basketball player? <laughs> and they said, yes. And they gave me a little um, boot. And they said, when you go back to New York, see another doctor and see what they recommend just because you don't really live in California. And when I came back, the doctor said, oh, it's December 31st tomorrow. You want to do surgery? I'm like, no. He's like, yes, you need to because otherwise it won't heal properly. So I did the surgery and then they said I could start being on my foot like within six weeks, I did all the PT. Mm -hmm. Um, But I realized when I did the surgery and you know, it was like such a rush to get it done because it had already been two weeks since I got injured that the doctor who did the surgery was younger than me. He was like 33 years old. So when I found that out, I'm like, oh my God, either I'm getting a really big paycheck from NYU (laughs) or he's so good and I'm going to be just, you know, be running on this. And I've never run before, before that time. So I said, well, if he's really good, let me actually put some weight on it to see if I can run. So as a challenge to myself and NYU, I decided to do this thing called couch to potato, couch, sorry, couch to 5k. It's a program where it's a walk run and it's an app. You download it. You literally yeah, start yeah, yeah, with 30 yeah, seconds. Yeah, I've seen Couch to 5 That's K's. how I started. It's a popular one. It used to keep popping up on uh, something that I was probably, you know, Instagram or something. Yeah, it's a good app. So that's how I started. And one thing led to another. And then when you get better at doing something and 30 seconds of running became, you know, a minute, a minute became a mile, a mile became more wow. miles. And you're like... Oh, maybe I can do something with this. Yeah, but well, a marathon is more than 5K. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a lot more. Well, I decided to do it for a charity. Um, yeah, and you raised like a bunch of money, right? You raised $20,000. Yeah, for cancer do, research. How, how did that happen? Because it's a big amount. Uh, I think it's just a lot of people in my life, uh, friends, family have been touched by cancer, even if... Um, you know, over the years, your parents, friends, your own friends. Um, so every person I reached out to, it became such a personal cause. So people gave me mm-hmm. between twenty dollars to like, you know, fifteen hundred dollars each. Wow! So the numbers just added up really quickly, and I got donations from friends here, donations from friends in Europe, and family, family in India. So it just added up really quickly. 
and nice. it felt really good to give back and then it made me feel like I need to do this race it's not for me it's for those people who need more research done for cancer and for pediatrics and Sloan Kettering Memorial Hospital so fantastic that was really nice and then you got into you know to are you, are you regularly planning to run marathons every year or because it takes a toll no, on the body I, right it does and it injures you and you need so much time away from your family and you need so much discipline you can't drink on a saturday night if your long runs on a sunday <laughs> i don't want to be that boring person who no. goes and is like okay so I, I, I'm that boring person every day who doesn't drink. <laughs> so my wife will, you know, you can do a separate podcast with her, how boring her <laughs> husband is. But, you know, I keep, obviously I'm in this space now and I've just been in, you know, in my own, uh, living in my own head. And that's why I needed to mm-hmm. get the voices in my head out. So I started out. this. But in my detailed research of, of marathons, it, they're actually really bad for the human body. We're not designed, human beings are not designed to run these distances. Only certain, I know certain tribes in Africa or certain South American yeah. tribes or something have the the right kind of foot design or whatever you want to yeah. call it, you know, genetics to run long distances. We're not really designed to do that. So, but uh, can you imagine like you wake up and then you're like, oh my god, I'm going to do 13 miles today. It's oh. such an amazing feeling. Oh, amazing so. feeling. I was like, oh my god, I have to do 13 <laughs> miles today. I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> no. Once you train, like, okay, I haven't run in a long time because I've injured myself and I'm always getting injured. But my next race is in April, which is wow. a couple months out. And it's only a six mile race. So not that much. But now I'm training for six miles. But it's not just the running that you have to do. Running is only part of it. You only need to run three days a week. But the other time, it's like, what else are you doing? So I do Pilates. I do strength training. I do um, lots of stretching and foam rolling because I get really tired. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Do you follow this guy called David Goggins by any chance? You know who he no. is? Oh my no, god, he is this beast of a ex, uh, you know, Navy SEALs guy. I, you, don't, you don't know what, you don't know David Goggins? You're living in New York no. and you don't know who David Goggins is? I have to, okay, I'm going to tell you, I, I, I will I will recommend his book to you. I'll, I'll send you, uh, you know, some details on him. So he's this guy okay. who's this ex Navy SEAL. And okay. he is, he's like a superhero, right? He's a, he's a superhero of trying to kill himself in, and, and just make his life so difficult. And that's how he's developed. You know, it's like, you know, the, the uh, it's everything is like, what would Goggins do in this situation? So I have a, remind, I have a reminder in my phone which shows up every morning <laughs> along with other stuff, which says, what would Goggins yeah. do? So in every time I'm... Uh, you know, contemplating doing something difficult. I said, what would Goggins do? And Goggins would just make it the hardest. You just know, he it. would he would do yeah. the marathon with 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 a with a hundred pound or yeah, hundred pound <laughs> bag on his back and, and cut <laughs> cut one leg off. Like he's that kind of a guy. So I think for everyone, yeah. Goggins is a is a guy that they need to follow. But you know, so coming back, uh, Pilates is something you've been uh, doing for a while, or yeah, a couple of years. I really really enjoy it. So, because I like yoga, I, I, I'm not a Pilates person, so... Yoga is different. Pilates is more lengthening, strengthening and toning. But really, it's lengthening. It it gets muscles in your body that you can't get with regular weightlifting. And, those, and the weight that you might hold when you're doing Pilates is two pounds. <laughs> and but it's, I, I've it's tried, two pounds total. I've tried Pilates and it's... It's like, I always think it's like assisted yoga and people get a bit angry at me when I say that, but... uh, No. Have you done it on a machine? I've done it on a machine. 
You um, need about three classes to learn the machine, and you need a really good instructor. I, I, I so maybe you need to come to New York, and I can. I will like, do that. I will do that. But now I want to come to the main <laughs> area of uh, discussion. So can you tell me about? Um, so when we were discussing, and and um, I, how I kind of perhaps reconnected with you before I wrote to you, was. There was some activity on on social media a few years mm-hmm. ago, particularly mm-hmm. which blew up in Delhi because it concerned an incident that happened with you. Uh, when when um, I you know I came across it, I immediately remembered who you were because before that is no mention. You've been away for mm-hmm. for years since since '97. You've been away from here, mm-hmm. and I guess uh, I don't think my sisters. Has been to you know in touch with you either. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. so when your name popped up and I was I was shocked to read what I did read on social media, mm-hmm. and I just like maybe you to you know touch upon on that and just speak about uh, what happened and 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 yeah. and the further you know we can we can delve into a lot of things after that. Uh, because I want to talk about uh, you know I want to talk about the book that you you know recommended mm-hmm. and that's that's one of the best books I've ever read. But I'm gonna come to all those things in a minute. When I was really young, I think I was ten years old. I was going to um, a mundan of my um, cousin. My cousin's um, grandmother lived in Kanpur, so this mundan ceremony was happening in Kanpur. So this is really a long time ago. And I remember that we, as a family, this is my mom's side of the family, we all took a train together because I don't know why we didn't fly. I guess you couldn't at the time. Um, and it was a night train. It was like a sleeper compartment. So all of us had different you know, areas and berths to sleep in. Mm-hmm. So um, at the first, this is the first incident that I'm describing. Um, my uncle, who's my Masi's husband, Sanjeev Patra, uh, very well known in Delhi, um, he came over to my birth and he stuck his tongue in my ear and was trying to, I don't know what he was doing. He was doing something that didn't feel right. So I pretended to be asleep and then that incident finished and it was over and I was so shocked and so young, I did not really know what had happened. You were 10? I was 10. Yeah, my cousin's 10 years younger than me, eight years. Um, during that trip in Kanpur, he attempted something else. He tried to touch me inappropriately. And I remember running away from that room where he caught, like he saw me in and he like tried to shut the door. And I was like, this is not right. I'm running out of here. Um, and this happened, this was like the more innocent stuff that he tried to do. And then over the years, any opportunity that he had, if we were ever alone, which were very few, but there were two other incidences that I remember quite vividly. And, you know, it's really strange. Like there are a lot of things about my life that I don't remember in great detail, mm-hmm. but this stuff, what happened to me, I remember like it happened to me yesterday. I remember details of that day like it was yesterday. And that has to be traumatic because I'm feeling so uncomfortable with what you just started saying. Uh, yep. And I didn't even know this. Uh, you no, know, this I haven't really yeah. 
yeah. told anyone the specifics. Um, maybe my parents, my husband, but I haven't ever talked about it publicly. Um, so people don't really know what the extent uh, of this um, molestation was. And, and this continued for uh, how long? From till I was about 14 or 15. And you obviously um, never told anyone. I did tell uh, some of my friends when I was older. Um, I did tell my brother when I was older that this happened. Um, but I think just the advice that, that I got at that time, you know, everyone comes from a place of, with the information that you have on hand at that point is when you make a recommendation or a suggestion or you give advice. And at that time it was like, don't say anything. You're gonna like ruin all of these family relationships. and. So I just kind of didn't say anything to my parents hmm. um, and he touched me inappropriately another two times after that when I was older and it went a lot f further than it should have and ever since the last time it happened I just decided I'm never going to let myself be alone with him in a room anymore. I will never let myself be alone in a car with him anymore. I will not hang out with him and his wife alone mm -hmm. anymore because he would mm -hmm. find opportunities just to be with me mm -hmm. and make a move and do something inappropriate um but i didn't say anything after that like at the after the you know the, i at 16 15 whatever i didn't talk about it after that um and then i just forgot about it i just i don't know just moved on lived life and did all the things i wanted to do and sometimes i wonder in a way my decision to move away did it get solidified with me not wanting to be in India anymore because this was distance, such a big yeah. create a distance like that was just a, that's all I could do to keep myself safe because I had to see this person socially because I hadn't said anything I had to like say hello I had to touch his hand he had to give me a kiss on my cheek I had to do all this and inside I was cringing and just so uncomfortable but I put up with it I put up with it for years and he probably always thought that he never said anything like, if you tell anyone, I'll threaten your family or I'll hurt them. There was never any of that. I think it was just assumed that I would never say anything. He just assumed that I would not have the strength to come out with this. And just living here, being away from home, um, I'm a person of extreme. Like when I decide to do running, I don't just run like one mile. I'm like, oh, why stop at one mile? Let's go the, all the way. That's so this lightning. is how I am. Yeah. yeah, I'm. I live in those. I think I just put myself in something, and then I'm so busy and immersed that it doesn't give you a lot of opportunity to think about other things, other voices, other things that you might have in your head that you don't want to deal with because you're so focused on something else. Um, so I live my life that way. If I get on a project, I will give it my 120 percent. If I get on a charity, I will give it my 150 percent. Um, and after a while, all that gets exhausting too, because your body is like a balloon. If you have anger inside, mm -hmm. at some point your balloon needs to pop. And I would be angry a lot. I've been married with my husband, like, you know, we've been married for 17 years. We've been together 20. Mm -hmm. He didn't know about this. Yeah, so I was going to ask you, when did these memories kind of start resurfacing and cause? I mean, they were the always anger. there, like, but um, intimacy was a big, um, factor like it would come up a lot when I was trying to be intimate with my husband yeah, so because 
it's those visions that and I really felt like it was not my body I felt like I was on a bed but I'm not really there like this is not happening to me I'm here my husband and I are on this bed but that person on that bed is not me which is a very surreal experience so this is what I've, I've learned through uh, the book that you also recommended and through some of my own earlier you know research in this mm -hmm. subject for various reasons mm -hmm. is that people who have you know gone through some sort of sexual abuse or violence or been molested and 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 and, and women and, and it's the same with women and men they tend to start disconnecting from their body and they start especially when they're even in a in a safe relationship with someone yeah. they love and they want to get intimate with it starts yeah. becoming an issue because you automatically start picturing things that perhaps happened to you that you didn't want or you didn't consent to yeah. and yeah. you get this exactly what you're saying this kind of out of body experience that you feel that this is yeah. happening to someone and this is what is trauma this is what yeah. we call trauma and this is what actually this 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 episode of this podcast and i haven't mentioned this word purposely before this is this is what i wanted this podcast to be about is about trauma and dealing with trauma and i think there's a lot of confusion to about what trauma is trauma mm -hmm. is if i you know get my hand cut off or blown off or if i have an accident mm -hmm. uh, you know there's mm -hmm. physical injury trauma and then there is the main trauma is in your head so uh you so i just want to come back to you were saying you used to get angry a lot and yes i used to be really mad like it could be something really silly like why didn't why did you leave the coffee cup here and you just and used like, to get blew up because of just something get like blow that. up yeah like it was so my husband said to me your response to such a small thing is not in proportion to what we're talking about maybe you need therapy mm -hmm. and that's the first time i was like oh my god i can get help but wait what am i getting help for because in order to get help you have to first acknowledge that there is something that you want to deal with mm -hmm. and that was really hard for me too but again when i commit to something i give it my 110% so mm -hmm. i was like yes i'm going to see a therapist my husband's like what I'm like, I'm going to go for therapy. Mm -hmm. So I emailed a therapist that I had found online and I said, let's do a trial and see. She was an art therapist and I, I really enjoy art. So I said, I want to come and talk to you about my anger issues. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I said, I was molested as a child and I think I have a lot of anger because of it. And how long did it take um, for you? How many sessions did it take for you to reveal that to her? I could not talk to her. I mean, I saw her every month, every week, sorry. Um, sometimes twice a week. Mm -hmm. uh, but the twice a week sessions were really hard because it was just too, too many emotions. Mm -hmm. um, but it took me a year and a half before I could actually even tell her what happened to me. It took you a year and a half. Yeah. So, which is what so, is, it's important. And I also learned this from uh, the podcast episode that I did with Sheena. I don't know if you've seen mm -hmm. that one, Sheena. Yeah, Pearl, I did. Is, you know, therapy is, it takes time. It's a process. You are meeting a completely unknown person who you have to, it, it, it's a process. It takes time. It took you one and a half years. And, yeah. and, and, and I actually, I'm not surprised it took you one and a half years because you were sharing something so difficult and something yeah. so 
I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm actually struggling for words from because, because uh, you know, what you said first when you told me what happened to you, it's still kind of floating around in my head because I wasn't expecting that at all. So, so it's, um, and so once you told her what was, what was next and was this only, was she do, using all various techniques of therapy or was it focusing yes. on art therapy? We did art, we did um, a lot of talking. I don't like talking so much. It's just another way to just shut down, right? If you don't talk about a problem, it doesn't exist. But I'm a very chatty person. Like socially, if you meet me in a setting, I could be the liveliest person in the room. Mm -hmm. I'm very outgoing. Everyone knows me everywhere, but no one knows me. Yeah. I don't let them in. I don't let people in. I have a big problem with this. So communicating with someone at such a personal level was really hard for me. Like to just be so vulnerable and not worry about what she's thinking Judgment. or feeling judged but she's not there to judge you she's there to guide you but she had always said to me that it's like peeling an onion and it's always a lot harder in therapy the first six months and then it gets easier mm -hmm. because a lot of times you deal with the fa your family like we started with like how was your relationship with your parents mm -hmm. how was your childhood and i'm like it was all great right <laughs> um but it gets a lot harder after that um, so we did a lot of different things. We did EMDR, just different techniques that she used. I did a lot of hypnosis that I really enjoyed. It's not the hypnosis that you see in a movie. Yeah, I know. Kind of like yeah. guided hypnosis. Yeah, yeah. So I've also done that, and I have my own views about it. It's not like okay. dance like a monkey when I snap my yeah, finger, yeah. and you start. So that's what everybody thinks when you think of hypnosis, because yeah. you've seen these yeah. illusionists and and you know uh, mind you know game guys do this, yeah. but that's not yeah. what it is. So. So you did hypnosis and what? Yes, I. it really helped me. It helped me feel grounded and calm. Mm -hmm. But I think the biggest thing that came out um, pretty quickly after talking to her was what is holding you back? Like, we've talked about this, we're trying to address the issue. Mm -hmm. I was like, I said to her, I said, well, I haven't told my husband mm -hmm. and I really want to tell my parents. And I went back and forth about wanting to tell my parents because of in my head the ramifications that might have might happen if i did this what would it mean for my mom and her sister's relationship what would what would it mean for my masi and her sister like what would it mean for everyone within the family sure. i was so worried about the relationships that sometimes i forgot to feel like this was about me mm. and i'm not the one who did anything wrong yeah, i was a victim yeah and it's not my place to correct someone else's mistakes so if I basically gave myself the strength to say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to tell them. And I think by telling them, I feel like a weight would be lifted from my shoulders. Um, so I told my husband first, um, I started therapy about two and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. And I told my parents, I told my husband first in September 2017. Mm -hmm. And what was he was, his of course, reaction? very supportive. He was shocked that we had been together for so long and he had no idea and that something and he was just so flabbergasted and, and he actually guessed who it was mm. uh, he, I said it's someone in my family and he just named this guy and I was like yep that's him because he said he's the sleaziest person I know mm -hmm. and so but he was very supportive and I said I just need you know to go through therapy can you like let's work on how will I tell my parents so we talked a lot about it. My parents were going to come out. They actually came out that summer, but I couldn't tell them. So then I said, okay, I'm going to tell them on the phone. Phone is easier. Mm. 
right? It's not face to face. So one night. God, I can't even. I, just, I, I I cannot even imagine what that conversation goes like. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, one. Well, I started with a glass. I started with a glass of wine. I called them one evening, and um, I usually don't call my parents during the week. I usually talk to them every Sunday morning. That's okay. our thing. Mm. But I was like, this cannot so be Sunday morning. So American of you, call. but anyway. Yeah. yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I'm like, can't be Sunday morning. It has to be when the kids are not here. Like when it's just me and I can just have my time. I called. They didn't pick up, and I was like, oh, I just drank a glass of wine. That liquid courage was like really there, mm. and I was going to do this. <laughs> So the next morning, my dad called me. He's like, "Everything okay? Like you called us." Um, so I actually called my dad uh, since he called me back, and we're we're pretty close. I said I wanted to share something that happened with me, and like a typical dad, he's like, "Hmm, hmm," and like just like shocked, right? Like so there was no reaction. It was like, um, just shock. And then um, I spoke to my mom. and they were shocked because there were times when they were nearby they were in the next room at least on two occasions the three occasions they were in the next room right. or in the same area yeah, so understand. how yeah. could they have missed it yeah, i know what you mean i'm a parent too and 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 it's it i, I can only imagine something happened and like you know this is my my this is I'm, I'm, I'm at his home today. His room is right behind yeah. this wall. Of course, he's at preschool right now. But if something were to happen, and I, you know, learned years later, you know, as a this is what I keep I keep talking about this, and in, on the podcast as well. As a parent, you blame yourself for anything. The little pinprick that your child gets, you want to find a way to blame yourself because why couldn't I? And and I, and this is something that is uh, so difficult to. I mean. I really don't know what what I, I I would just lose my shit honestly I would as a parent I would lose my shit because I don't think I have the strength uh, but I know your dad because uh, I, I you know I know your I know your dad I don't know your mom that well but I know your dad because uh, you know he we did some work together also on the old Columban association yeah because my boss we used to you know work with him and they won the old Columban trust so so yeah so you said he he kind of uh, And just was internalizing it, and he he shut off for a while. Yeah, just that day, and then I spoke to my mom, and then it was just so much to process, and there were so many tears from my side. You know, it's a grieving process. It's like you have to let it out. You have to just first you be sad, you can be depressed, but then you're like, I need to come out of this funk, and I need to get myself going, right? So, so I went through all the stages. Mm-hmm. Um, But I came out in the end. Like I wasn't ever like questioning whether my parents would believe me or not. I know my parents, and that was never. It was just, oh my god, I'm going to ruin an entire side of my mom's family. Basically, I would ruin everyone's relationships, right? And how important! But it wasn't on me. But it's still a lot because. And then this was. So you told your parents, and then you came out on social media, and 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 you know a lot of people. uh and it's probably true you were the first perhaps indian or indian origin person for the me too movement that just started or was going yeah. to start and you you yeah. used that to come out on social media was that soon after you told your parents yes i told my parents in january or february 2018 mm-hmm. um and you know my parents met him and his wife 
they had conversations. I spoke to my aunt after that on the phone because I wanted her to hear it from me as oh, well. So your parents cordially yeah, confronted. Mm-hmm. Is confronted the right word? Different. Yeah, they they just said Ashna said this. What do you have to say? And he says, Oh, she's making it all up. It's not true. I spoke to his wife, who my Masi. I've known her all my life. She's my youngest Masi. Like we used to hang out all the time growing up. We had a lot of fun growing up. So um, she said that I was um, mistaken and confused. Right. Her words. And that did that and make said, you angry again? It made me pretty mad and I gave her a very um, vulgar description of what he did that I cannot repeat on the podcast yeah, probably, yeah, but I, I said something like this that happens to you is not a uh, misinterpretation of what happened. So I'm okay, you know, people have to make their own choices. But people you can imagine the disbelief or, I mean, for a wife oh, of to, course. I mean, I, I would not want to believe that about my, my wife no. or my, my anybody that I'm related to. No. So, so it's easy. Or your friends, you're like, yeah, it's, it's easy, easy to, to say that, no, 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 this didn't, this didn't happen. She's confused. It was, it was too long ago. There has to be some mistake. Yeah. Maybe she's on some drugs. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, they said know. all that. <laughs> um, Hallucinating drugs. Um. And but you know, and then what I'm the, not. I didn't come out with it to say, "Oh, I'm asking for money from you. I'm asking not. for this." Of course not. But yeah. that's usually like I didn't want anything. All I wanted was for him to acknowledge what he did. You to me. wanted closure. I understand. I just wanted closure. I just wanted to move on. And for me, the a big thing here was I came at a time where Bill Cosby was abused, yeah. uh, social, yeah, accused yeah, yeah, of yeah. these. Uh, 60 women who came out against him mm-hmm. and slowly slowly they were coming out yeah could you believe I Bill Cosby like he was my like a he was like a cuddly teddy bear I used to watch yeah. him yeah yeah so so that that the news became very hard to watch um me too had just started here with Harvey Weinstein I could not look at social media I could not look at New York Times on my phone I could not look at the news uh, TV channel it would just trigger and I would get really really it felt like it was personal. It felt like it was happening to me all over again. Mm-hmm. I hadn't moved on like enough to be able to deal with all this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But after I told my parents, they actually I went to England that February um, with my family, and they they said, "Can we also come? We, we really want to see you." So we talked in person. Um, we hung out, um, and you know they said, "What do you want? What do you?" I said, "I just want him to acknowledge." And I want him to fess up to what he did. That and happened, my uncle and aunt right? were willing to come here to New York to meet me. And I said, why would I want to meet him? I have mm. nothing to say to this person anymore. I have put up my like nice face to him. I have said my hellos. I have been respectful. I'm done. I don't owe this to this person anymore because I don't need to pretend to be, you know, a very kind, loving, happy person when he's caused me all this anguish like why do I need to be like this mm-hmm. I can be how I can actually behave the way I really feel I just want to ignore him he doesn't deserve my time he doesn't deserve my attention he doesn't deserve anything so um, and th- that was a while ago and then you uh, came out on social media after that I came out on social media in April I decided I was April so angry 2018 so th- yeah, yeah. So almost two years ago I decided well if I'm not I don't really want anything for me, mm-hmm. but there are so many people who live in this world who don't have a voice, yeah. who haven't found the strength 
it took me 28 years so it's not like you know i just decided to come up with the story right when it happened yeah but i know what toll it took on my life for sure um, for sure i know it made me the person i am today so i'm grateful for who i am but i would never want this to happen to anyone else and if i can be a little voice for someone else if i can just be um inspiration for someone else mm-hmm. um that's all i wanted to do so i decided to set up um uh, a charity for this organization rain that you talked about and we raised about over $20,000 for rain as well just oh, by so 20,000 you did for cancer research earlier and another 20,000 yeah. so i remember so that's when this kind of happened and i and i and i uh, found what you wrote on social media and it was obviously it was all over delhi and 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 it was personal because i felt that i always tell people that we grew up together not just because you're famous in delhi but uh, uh, <laughs> because uh, i mean no i mean but just generally i mean for anybody you know any of my yeah. sisters friend we all grew up together yeah. right so i was yeah. a kid you guys were the older sisters yeah. or the the older hot cute girls that i used to mm-hmm. like or you know the word <laughs> the word hot didn't even exist back then but um, mm-hmm. uh, so I remember I saw your rain campaign and you're running for this yeah. and 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 uh, I don't know what maybe I, I was I used to be employed back then so I was feeling mm-hmm. I was feeling rich so I donated a hundred bucks I remember <laughs> uh, and and then I got this the email from you and 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 I think uh, and, and you know that was it it was for, it was forgotten after that yeah but what it was two years ago literally it was two and a half years ago yeah but what wasn't forgotten was that. this is very real you know child abuse and sexual abuse and yeah. and, and this this yeah. and and in india more so you've got this you've got this absolutely patriarchal yeah society. you've got that and you've got the most brutal incidents against women yeah. and kids that are happening every day um uh, you know that that we've heard of this nirbhaya yeah. case those guys are still waiting to be hanged they you know they're going on telling i'm i'm you know i'm not an advocate for the death penalty or neither am i i'm agnostic mm-hmm. about death yeah. penalty but you do you know this is constantly in your face yeah. this is happening every day it is very real and as a parent it couldn't be nothing could be scarier than this mm-hmm. nothing could be scarier than this and and how much can you do to protect your kid beyond the point you can't but what you can do is acknowledge that this is not you know uh, this is not something you see on netflix or, or, or this is not, not someone else's yeah, problem yeah this is someone else's problem this can't happen to me because it does happen to you and it's happening to people around you and it may even happen to your own kids and it may have happened to any of us uh, yeah. people like you had the strength to come out with it others may live with it for the rest of their life get traumatized live with that trauma and that trauma is going to manifest in in destroying their relationships in in doing yeah. hundreds of things so yeah. you um then you did rain and then you did so the, okay i want to talk a little bit about the book that you you recommended to me mm-hmm. and which is i'm going to recommend and i'm going to link it in the in the podcast as well every single person should i've uh, heard the audio book twice and i'm planning to uh, you know get the physical copy as well and 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 mm-hmm. this is the first time i want to get a physical copy of the audio book because i want to like underline stuff and make notes because it has really taught me a lot uh, not that i'm uh, you know wanting to study about um, uh, this subject beyond a point but i just found it very interesting the book is called the body keeps score it's by uh, van der kock 
Dr. Basil Basil Vandercock, and you did a course with him, right? You did a course in which he was physically teaching him. So a couple years ago, when I was going through the therapy and I was talking to my therapist, I said, "What are the other things that I can do?" At one point, I had such a big. I was diagnosed with the post post traumatic stress disorder PTSD. PTSD, yes. Yeah, which is very common in. Um, when you're um, molested or you have sexual trauma as a child sure um it's the same effect as when someone goes to war and they come back and they keep seeing these images over and over in their head when they close their eyes it's basically the same thing that can happen you keep seeing images of the perpetrator in your mind or, the the or, the, or what happened it's like flashbacks of what happened right? it's like flashbacks and yeah um, and you're reliving. So this is so, it's so interesting, and and and, and uh, I hate to interrupt you at at this moment, but it's it's what I didn't know about uh, post traumatic stress is that literally the it's not just in your mind, and and the, because mm -hmm. the mind recreates the physical sensation in the body. So so uh, you 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 have to relive the whole episode or the whole. Yeah. Moment series of episodes and you, and you, you yeah. live it again and again and again and your body is gone into this this permanent state of fight or flight yeah which yeah. is which is the the stress response and and yeah. this health wise mental health and physical health wise would take such a toll on one's body so i'm amazed that actually you've been able to you know you you managed to function for so long with this kind of stress and, and you don't need to it's not that you only learned about you know your body was under stress it was uh, and your mind and body were under stress a lot so yeah please continue about the course you were telling me so my therapist recommended um, the book the body keeps score amongst a lot of other books but I really enjoyed reading this book because there was a lot I could connect about myself in that book um, so then my therapist said, you know, this doctor, he teaches courses sometimes at Kripalu, which is a yoga retreat place um, in Massachusetts. Right. You should see if they have a course. Maybe you can do a workshop with him. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I can do this. This is, this is good. Because I was just trying to find ways to just cope. I wanted to be around people who had been through this to see how they survive. I didn't end up going to any group therapies, but I was very curious as to... How do people function in the world after coming out with a story like this? Because it's one thing to internalize it and keep it within the four walls of your house. It's another thing to have the whole world know what happened to you and then have to live your life every day. So you wanted a support group? I wanted a support group. I just wanted to see what people did to make their life a little better, a little richer, or they weren't thinking about this at all times. So when I read the book, I was like, well, this book is interesting. And I know that he does courses. And I found one at Kripalu, which is my, um, my therapist recommended. And it was a five-day workshop. It was pretty much all day. Like, we would get a break for lunch. We'd start at, like, 8 in the morning for breakfast. The course would start at 8.30. We would get a lunch break at 12.30. And then uh, 1.30 again, we would start again. Um, you had moments throughout the day to do yoga twice a day if you chose to. Or take a walk um, in their amazing garden. You could mingle with the people that were in the course. So the course was a lot of um, the people who were taking the course were either professionals who were doing it for advancing um, mm -hmm. their credit for continuing education. So there were a lot of therapists in the class. But then there were also people like me, survivors who wanted to just figure out what do we do? How do we move on? Like, what do we need to do? 
and how do we not let this claim our lives so i found the course really really helpful it was the first time that i had actually been away from like my whole family and gone away on my own for something mm -hmm. for me for five days i was like wow this is like not really the real holiday i thought this would be it was very hardcore and intense there were a lot of workshops you had to rely on people blindfolded you had exercises to do with I'm random sorry. people that you had never met and just give just give just trust them just give like put that blindfold give your hand let them lead you and fall back and, and, and let them catch you that could i can say for the professionals doing it would have been easier i can't be easy for yeah. someone who is actually been traumatized because yeah. the whole problem is trust how do you the get yourself to trust, trust anyone yeah. again yeah how do you look at people when just walking in a room how do you i don't like personally like i'm a very happy outgoing person but i don't like a lot of proximity to my body like i want people to be I a little understand. far away from I me i absolutely understand what you're saying i don't want the hugs like okay if i really know you and you really want a hug i'll give it to you but willingly you're not getting a hug and a kiss from me and that's it and that's like a, it. And a, there is a very of solid course. underlying reason behind that yeah so a lot of you know this explains <coughs> behavior right we we, yeah. we uh, uh, so you learned but this course saved your life in a way didn't it because or it changed yeah. your life because it changed, it changed this book has changed life. my life this book has changed yeah. my life in the sense that i just feel uh, i just feel that i know things that everyone should know and it prepared me also to you know be able to do this podcast because when i wrote to you i wrote mm -hmm. honestly and 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 usually i'm and now i'm a positive person i used to be a, a pessimist mm -hmm. but i am an mm -hmm. i'd like to believe i'm an optimist when i wrote to you i was like she's never going to say yes why will she want to why mm -hmm. will anybody want to really relive this again and i just shot off an email to you like i shot off to a lot of people that i wanted them to come on the podcast mm -hmm. uh, and and i was like she's never going to say yes and you replied and said yes i said oh my god i said she said yes <laughs> now i said i and, and and the reason i was worried to do the podcast with you was uh because i just felt that i won't be able to do justice to it because i just felt this is such uh uh this is a it's a, it's a very serious subject what happened to you was very serious uh, the the implications are very serious and the learnings that need to come out of this podcast are very serious so it is only because of our a chat and you recommended this book only after i read this book and well heard this book twice mm -hmm. is that mm -hmm. i felt that i had some capability to maybe do some justice to this because i mean uh it, people need to understand and this is you know when we discussed offline we are not doing this to uh or you are not doing this to name and shame anyone the idea th this podcast is about trauma how to live with trauma how to get over it and and make a life beyond trauma and you are very you are a survivor you are not a victim and you've never claimed that you're the victim and as and as you said what i would like people to get out of this podcast is how to become survivors uh you know not be victims because i have in my in my head i you know i was a victim of many things for many years until i didn't get myself out of that mentality that no i'm not a victim i'm i'm a survivor of this so i can i can survive this i can only when you start thinking of yourself as a survivor or you find the tools like maybe yeah. this book like going to therapy yeah. like getting the right help can you get out of being you know from a victim to moving on to being a survivor and then being a you know you're doing this now from 
from not being able or for you know to to not have told anybody to now the world is going to hear you and learn from you and your story and for you to be on the you know national leadership level at reign uh this is a huge huge jump and 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 no victim would ever be in this position it's only that you have you know so this is this i i could only um wish that everyone can get themselves to reach or aspire to reach where you have reached uh i think the biggest thing gamer is being open to having conversations with friends so like if you have a friend who's shared something or you feel like something's off don't give up after asking them once i think the people who stood out for me the most were the people i might have shared like oh i was molested as a child mm-hmm. and i said i can't talk about it right now mm-hmm. but it's really hurting me um and i'm coping and i'm dealing with it but then the same friend a week later would come back and say i'm here for you are you ready to talk now i would love to support you i think also we feel like oh we don't need help it's our human nature we don't want to be dependent on anyone we don't want to reach out to anyone i think it's okay to feel i want to talk to someone it's always easier to talk to someone that you know but sometimes it's equally easy like when you're on an airplane you can share your life story with someone you don't know at all mm-hmm. so pick your moments but actually find the one that you feel like will give you a place to move forward from i just feel like you cannot be stuck in a place you have to see where you're going i always knew like once i called out my uncle the story was not about me the story was making sure that people understood these things happen to people in all kinds of households mm-hmm. including ours oh yes the story was just because i have talked about this two and a half years ago it doesn't mean that it's not in me every single day this of course it's hard and i think one and i'll be honest like one of the reasons i haven't come home in 3 years which is the first time ever is ever since i came up with the story i don't know if i'm ready to be come to come home again um if home is even mine like i have I to come back and claim it so i might be back in december i'm thinking but i just haven't found that courage yet because i feel like i need a lot of rules and parameters for what would make that trip very comfortable for me but i'm old enough and i think a little wise enough to like tell my parents okay this is the boundaries these are the people i want to see people i don't want to see i don't want any big dinners like there are things that i can do that i think will help me please put me um, on the list to see you and <laughs> you will see me <laughs> but it's just uh, you know finding coping mechanisms um i don't go for therapy every week anymore i don't need it i go once a month now i think it's the um, other way around i think check you in. are providing therapy for everyone <laughs> who's going to be watching this or hearing this podcast and i and i know that for sure i know that for sure and this is why i i wanted you here um uh coming back to the course is there anything that you know something that you can remember that you you know you want to tell everyone that you know like you know because when i read this book there's certain instances that keep popping on my mind i keep telling keep telling my wife i keep telling my mother yeah. whoever that you know did you know that you know this thing works like this or did you know that you know this is a manif- this could be a manifestation because i a lot of things i checked or a lot of things i realized about my own behavior and why i also am mm-hmm. uh, you know going to therapy I was starting mm-hmm. going to therapy of course uh, you know Sheena uh, helped me to get mm-hmm. that last portion I, t- I tried to go before but I just felt that 
even though I'm in a really good place, I just want to go to therapy to, it's like a, it's like a, just, you know, my, my physiotherapist, for example, tells like me Like a check-in. Yeah, so the, my physiotherapist uh, tells me, and I learned this from him, is that most people go to the physiotherapist when something is broken or when you strain something. Yeah. But the top athletes and, and you know, actors yeah. and models, whoever who want to keep themselves physically fit, they actually go and the right thing to do is go to a physiotherapist. Every week. When, when everything is good, so that ne- nothing ever goes bad. So yeah. from that aspect, I want, you know, want to start going to therapy or start going to therapy. Uh, and, and to learn that a lot of things that uh, in my behavior are perhaps from some past, you know, childhood yeah, or some other, some, some other uh, trauma. Like for me, um, I was fortunate enough to never have to go through something like what you went through. But school brings traumatic memories to mind. Yeah. And, and that is evident in all the podcasts that I've done when we've spoken about school or yeah. school life. Yeah. Uh, maybe it was being bullied a bit or maybe it was, uh, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was my worst days. I hate remembering my school days that they're not, they're un- unhappy days, unhappy memories. Yeah. I didn't have a good time in school and that's okay. My wife loved yeah. her school. That's great. Yeah. You know, everybody's experience is, is you know, individual to them. So yeah. for me, school brings back those traumatic memories. I hate thinking of school. Yeah. Maybe it was a pressure of exams for a for a student mm-hmm. like me who never wanted to study or who had a mm-hmm. problem or who's partially dyslexic, where mm-hmm. you know the words used to jump around when you know mm-hmm. that sometimes mm-hmm. those letters interchange when mm-hmm. I'm reading, and that's also trauma. So it, yeah, it, it doesn't have to be that you were you know sexually assaulted mm-hmm. or molested. Mm-hmm. Small things sometimes as a kid can remain as trauma in your mind. Uh, yeah. So um, you didn't answer my question. Was there something mm-hmm. that you in the workshop, you know, right? something in the workshop that you 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 just end up telling yeah. everyone about? Yeah. So I think the one thing that I found really helpful in the workshop at that time I wasn't very open to participating in the workshop verbally but I was I would do all the like the exercises with a partner but not in a big group setting I wasn't so comfortable but the one that I did participate in is one where at the end it was almost towards the end of our session of um, with uh, this guy is that we basically got an opportunity to confront our perpetrator so if you could wow. sit down um, and pretend and they would put him there, and I would have a conversation, a dialogue with this person well, to did address they put a, him. Sorry, a physical person or like some Yeah, sort of a, a physical dummy. person, of someone from oh, our that's, group. That like, can't be easy. Yeah. That's, that's, no. That sounds, yeah. And for that person to have to just listen to your feelings, and sometimes it got physical. Yeah, um, just, you know. Someone could get pushed or, you know, that was very powerful and cathartic in its own way because it was it made me realize like i don't have to hold this if i really choose to i can come to india i can make i can sit down with him and my aunt and have a conversation and tell him what he did to me was not okay what he made me feel all these years was wrong and really i don't know have a heart to heart but one-sided because i have there's nothing that he can say that would make me feel better um but i feel like i did that also with my therapist. Um, therapists use a lot of props, and one of the props that they use is they would put like two stuffed animals where they pretend like this is the person and this is his wife. What do you want to say to them? Mm-hmm. 
I know it sounds a little crazy that you're like talking to a stuffed animal, but actually having that conversation and actually being able to say something out in the open is really powerful. So I, I would tell people that if they can't address it to the person that they, mm -hmm. this is uh, about or has happened to, I would recommend that they pretend like these people are in the room there and say what they want to. It's almost like writing a letter, but instead of writing the letter, you're actually doing it with words and actions. So it's like a ro role play almost? It's a role play, yeah. And but it's very... But like a one-sided... One-sided, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like there's no... Yeah. You're just getting it out of your system. Your side out, yeah. And that really helped. And I think, like you said, it's, you know, healing is a journey. It's yeah. never going to be perfect, but it... And you can have moments where it's up and down. And sometimes when I look at the news and I see more Me Too cases and more, it does tr trigger something in me, but I've also learned to recognize the triggers. And there have been times uh, like when my Facebook was hacked last uh, April. Your Facebook was hacked? It, my his Facebook was hacked last April and a post was posted that said that everything that I had said um, thus far about um, my uncle is not true. I had lost my mind and I made up a story. I'm so crazy. Why did I do it? Something like that. It didn't even sound like me. Um, so I got really, I got really triggered. I was really angry at first because I could not believe that someone would stoop to this level to then do what they did. And then to have to like, come out of it so I decided to go back to therapy I was like okay I need weekly sessions so I think it's important to recognize that sometimes you go in for check-ins but sometimes it's like when you're feeling not so well you should go to the doctor more often to make sure you're okay so I was doing weekly sessions then when I felt like okay I have everything under control I was back to my once a month sessions so I think it's okay to also like find help when you need it and I also encourage people not to always go with the first therapist that they might uh, meet or find. Okay, so how, how should I Therap kind of find the perfect therapist for me? Just meet a few, like interview them almost? Mm, yeah, it's you have a session with them and you'll feel um, it has to be a conversation. Therapies usually, a lot of it's about you. When you say, well, what do you think? The therapist will say, well, what do you think? You're paying me. You're here for yourself. Mm, mm. But the kind of therapist that I need is... I actually want an opinion. Okay. I actually want someone to talk back to me. I, I want to be challenged a little bit. I don't want to be like, okay, I'm going to sit on the sofa and have a one hour conversation, which is more one sided and they're just going, mm hmm, mm hmm, and I'll repeat the story and mm hmm, mm hmm. So I think it really depends what kind of therapy. There are so many different kinds of therapists. There's dance this therapy. Is a really there's good recommendation. Music therapy. There's art therapy. There's, um, there's just so many things that you can do. And there are, Two types of therapists, right? One is psychiatrists and one is uh, one is a psychologist. Yeah, I also learned this. Thank you, Parul, for asking. You learned for this, this okay? Yeah. yeah. So, and one of them they can prescribe medicine, and the other one cannot. Uh, I learned this um, recently. But yes. you can, you recently, recently. But you can go to either one. It doesn't matter. You don't have to go to the uh, like. Right now, I don't go to the art therapist. I go to a different doctor. I actually. Um, he's a, a psychiatrist, but I don't take medicine. I just go to him because he's Indian and I feel like having the ability to talk to someone from your own culture who gets a lot of the references sure. is a lot different than me just talking to like um, the other therapist I was talking to earlier. So this is a, so this she is was a, great. This is a pro tip for sure guys. Don't just go, and this is a tip for me. Don't just go to any therapist. 
maybe interview few of them, see who you maybe connect with, uh, see yeah. who works for you, and maybe even try different. So uh, art therapy, I learned about from my first episode of the podcast was from you know Zina and Zoya. Uh, Zoya does a bit of art mm-hmm. therapy, so mm-hmm. I learned about art therapy. So maybe try saying this. I didn't know there's dance therapy, there's music yeah. therapy. Yeah. Um, this is interesting. So I definitely, uh, this is a great recommendation that's you know come out of you know what your what our, our discussion. Um, we I want to talk a little bit about about trauma in, and how it manifests. Mm-hmm. So in you, yeah. do you think would you say that the primary manifestation of your trauma was uh, oh primary, which was visible to the rest of the world, was maybe anger issues. Anger. Yeah, Not anger, depression, anxiety, issues. some sort of self harm. Did you ever? I mean, no. uh, you know think of these no things. i did like some there were days where i was really really low but again i'm a very strong world person um so i never let myself stay in that space um or that funk per se i would just i keep really really busy i used to keep really really busy uh, less now but it was only because those empty moments in my day just had these flashbacks coming to me and i just could not deal with like having these images so if you fill your 24 hour day and 12 hours you're awake you keep every 12 like the 12 hours are really 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 busy you have no time to think you just go from one one project to the other you're running away yeah it's not good you're running away yeah but you didn't run away for long but you did confront those demons eventually and then i started running so (laughs) 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 i don't know it's related yeah yeah Um, yeah yeah so, so, yeah, I so, think so, you're, so would you say the, the primary manifestation was in anger? So I think if uh, that's a good tip as well, or that's a good thing to get out of the podcast is if suddenly you uh, getting angry disproportionately. And sometimes I feel like Irrit- I'm like yeah. that, uh, you, uh, you know, it could be irritable. disproportionate or something small just triggers me and I'm like really irritated yeah. about it for, for no reason. Yeah. Perhaps it's, it's, it's connected. Um, so the journey of healing, I forgot to mention this earlier. I find that the journey of healing for me personally was very, um, it was very helpful for me to be able to give back to others. Mm-hmm. So I've done it in a lot of different ways. I, you know, did a charity for rain. I, um, I got a dog. The dog is uh, now a certified therapy dog. So Lucy and I, she's a golden doodle. Wow. She's a year and a half old. So we will be starting school and hospital visits quite soon. So what will like what will, she, what will she be? What does a therapy dog really do? So a therapy dog basically, I can go into say for example a public school in New York that is a school for the deaf, mm-hmm. and they will bring the kids into a room, and the kids will get an opportunity to pet her for those who want to pet her. Uh, I could go into a school that has a program for children who have uh, learning disabilities like dyslexia. Okay. they can read to lucy okay i can go to a hospital um where these patients are getting cancer treatment chemotherapy okay. mm-hmm. uh, on the oncology floor and they can pet her she just brings a smile to their face yeah, it's a yeah. one minute visit That's it's one amazing. hour so i'm going to be doing that twice a week with her so i think for me the journey was really about giving how do i give back to f- it's not about making money it's about telling my story but spreading the word but the healing for me really wasn't the giving back so um, joining charitable organizations, um, trying to think about what I want to do next. For me, maybe something related to Pilates, maybe trying to become a mat instructor. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's again, something to do with giving back in the fitness space. 
I um, think what you this is the, the biggest thing you're doing to give back is this podcast and I'm not just saying that because it's because it's <laughs> me but I'm going to try and make sure that uh, that's my job is to make sure that uh, this becomes a huge avenue for you to give back and uh, and that's that's going to be through the number of people we can uh, get through to Reach. the more people that hear this the more people that see this uh, everybody is going to get something out of this and and that is my mission for this this podcast mm. too is that uh, maybe every every episode is not relevant to everyone but i know that yeah. there are certain episodes that every single person on the planet need to see and i think this is going to be one of those so thank you again and i want to thank you uh, so did lucy get uh, trained for this or yeah you had to, she, she um, had to do a full course <laughs> she's more qualified yeah, than you yeah she's really like you know smuchi have a phd from harvard or something oh she's really qualified she's i think it's personality driven like your dog's personality has to be very outgoing and social and when we got her my therapist i asked my therapist was her dog family i said would it make me feel better if i get a dog because she's like yes dogs are very powerful and healing mm-hmm. and you know here we do everything for our dog ourselves so right, we yeah, don't outsource of course, it of course. so um she comes to work with me two days a oh, week oh nice out of three yeah so she's very loving so i i feel like having that person just a dog to pet is very relaxing and cathartic but then for her to bring a smile to someone else's face like that fills me in a way i can't even describe it like it makes me so happy like i feel like oh my god i just changed someone's life for that moment like yeah. it's it's so nice and there's something very powerful about that beautiful so I encourage people to give thank back. You, thank you. Lucy has also made a guest <laughs> appearance on the podcast. We got a small glimpse of her in the beginning. <laughs> what else I, I wanted to discuss with you? We'll come to your your fitness very quickly. Yeah, so some of the interesting things that I learned from the book, and this is literally in the first, mm-hmm. must be in the first few pages, is that it's very interesting. What he uh, he opens the book by saying, one doesn't have to be a combat soldier or visit a refugee mm-hmm. camp in Syria to encounter trauma. Trauma just happens yeah. to you and to pe- the people around you. Uh, yeah. Other things which were shocking on the one hand, but then I was not so surprised on the other hand. And these statistics will be, I would say, uh, in fact, I think this would be even more in India. Research by the Centers for Disease Control, which is in the U.S., mm-hmm. has shown that one in five Americans was sexually molested as a child, one in four was beaten by a parent, one in three couples engaged in violence, and 25% of people grew up with, you know, alcoholic relatives around them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel knowing what's going on in India, and because we are, well, second largest population, soon to be the largest, I guess, um, mm-hmm. and, and we never get stats out of China, so I think everything gets like we are the, the you know uh, we are the the suicide capital of the world we are the depression capital of the world we are the diabetes capital of the world and that's also because of the kind of population but what's more worrying is these statistics even if these statistics are horrible even in the, in the US and this should not yeah. be one in five americans were sexually assaulted yeah. easily you can replicate that to urban areas or whatever areas in in, in india mm-hmm. say one in five indians were sexually molested yeah. as a child and, and it's important to remember these things because only then will you be able to do something about it um what else had I, i made a note on i had made a note on we discussed that uh, trauma makes it difficult to engage in intimate relationships no worry no worry no worry we we like uh, we like we like lucy she can be part of the podcast 
Um, uh, yeah, so this, this is very interesting. I just wrote this one last thing down before, and I want to say that before we come to your, your fitness regimen, and then we can close the podcast. Uh, Sigmund Freud in 1895 said about you know somebody before they had obviously all these terms that I think this man is suffering from memories. Yes. So I think that's the, the easiest way to describe post-traumatic stress disorder is to say that this person is suffering from his memories. Because that's exactly what it is. Unpleasant memories. Yeah. So, so, so if you're suffering, I guess it's the unpleasant memories. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so th- I think that was a, just a beautiful line. I mean, and I'm not a, a Freudian, and I'm not a fan of Freud, but this mm-hmm. is a line that has, you know, st- stuck in my mm-hmm. mind. Um, so, so, so quickly, I want to just maybe come to uh, what are the things uh, before that? Yeah, what are you? Are you doing anything specific with Rain? And and how? What can, what can we do? As uh, I mean, we're not in the U.S., but we're in India. I mean, can we do similar stuff? Uh, there are lots of organizations in India too, and I will I will link them below that are working on uh, you know similar issues. I think it would be. Re- I don't know if it exists, but I think a hotline for people in India would be really nice there, if someone thinks about there creating is a, it. I don't there know if is it a hotline. There is a, a, a child abuse hotline. Okay. There is those hotlines do exist. Uh, how much? Mm. Honestly, how much of a difference do you think these hotlines make? Huge amount of difference. Why? There are 13, 14 year old kids that haven't been able to tell anyone that their stepfather has been molesting them. Okay. They come on the hotline and then the hotline says, well, is there anyone in your life that you feel comfortable sharing this with? Mm-hmm. And they'll say, yeah, I have this aunt. Mm-hmm. So then that person will get the push to connect with this aunt and he will or she will tell the story. Okay. And so it's really powerful because no one should have to live that way. No one should have to go through that, especially as a child. I mean, for me, having gone through this, I have spent a lot of time. My kids are seven and nine. Since the age of four and four, I've been talking with them about touch. What is appropriate touch? I Who can touch you? Yes. Um, I've had a lot of conversations on um, what is sex? Just enough in terms for them to understand in their language, nothing too detailed, but it's not okay. Yeah, but my as a parent, babies myself, are like, uh, yeah. he's, uh, my son turned three yesterday. So uh, uh, this is also something that's on my mind. And yes, I am hyper aware of these issues, maybe compared to a normal parent, because yeah. I'm unemployed, I have a lot of time on my hands, and because I'm in this space. So, yeah. can you, how, did, was this something you, uh, did you read a book about it or is there like a best practice that we can learn from and how, how should how should I as a parent start telling my uh, child about this, this touch so and good I touch think and the bad most touch important, and, you know, the most important thing is to keep it simple to the child's language ability of that age, right? So, if your son is three, mm-hmm. in America we say that only doctors are allowed to touch you because they have to check to make sure all the parts are working properly and you don't have any injury or you're not okay and other than that no mama and papa are okay to be in the room if you're changing but otherwise no one else is really allowed to see your private parts they're private because they're private like that conversation started at three for me and then at four it became more involved i bought this book called it's not the stork Okay. Which is really a book um, geared towards kids, but it really talks about your body, your different body parts, um, how our babies really born. It's not the stork. Um, 
So I, I've read parts of this book to both my kids together separately as appropriate as the questions come. Another thing, like I didn't really grow up talking about um, touch, uh, what is appropriate, like it was just assumed, I don't know, it just didn't exist when I was growing oh, of up. Of course not, we didn't, I didn't get that chat. Uh, we didn't have this no, conversation. No, no way. Uh, we didn't have any conversations about sex. So the question is, and I've attended workshops at my kids' school just to learn about what is appropriate, what do you deal with, and I think the issue really is, things become an issue when you don't deal with it as an everyday occurrence. Like, people have sex, it's nothing to be ashamed of, it's a way for two people to show that they love each other. Now what you want to teach your maybe sixth grader is that, um, because sixth grade is when they might become sexually active oh or seventh God. grade. Please don't tell me this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's just to say, you know, when you're in a relationship, um, make sure it's pleasurable to both people. Mm-hmm. Don't feel the pressure. Like, so there are different tools and strategies you can engage, but also have a conversation in settings where it's not like, oh, let's sit on the bed and have this conversation. It's more like, okay, you're going in a car. It's as easy so as we, saying, we, oh. It's the same spirit of teaching them how to cross the road safely. Yeah, same spirit as, oh, we're going to go to Italy on vacation this year. But, oh, do you know that um, sometimes kids are touched inappropriately and it could be by a teacher? Okay. Same, same, it's not like I've had this conversation once and I'm done. You're never done with it. Right. You're never done with safety. You're never done with, so you have to keep repeating it so that the kids feel like, okay, it's really like immersed in our head and not only that, they might have friends who might share something uh, with them because kids at a young age talk a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the kid hasn't shared, that kid hasn't shared with someone else. You want that your kid to be the child who comes to you and says, hey, I heard this from my friend and I don't think it's okay mm-hmm. because you've taught me better. Right. So what are the resources that you you know, would recommend? So. Keep talking, I'm listening to you. Yeah, Yeah, so we have a lot of conversations in my house about um, just touch and um, what is appropriate touch, how you shouldn't be sitting, you know, on people's laps. And um, here in America, like we have, it's amazing. You can go on like certain websites and you can plug in uh, sexual predators and then whoever's a registered sexual offender mm-hmm. you can actually see where they live right like, right yes yes yeah um which is also quite powerful and really scary but this is a world you live in um you know so oh it's a scary while in world India, you for sure and i think it's better for parents to believe it's a scary world and uh, because even if I mean, for me, I what what's the impact that we want to make through this podcast is I think even if one kid, one yep. person, one child can be prevented, or can yep. can can be can be protected against having an experience like you did, or, or millions of other people do, I would consider that to be a success. And if that is about uh, scaring parents into it, so be it, man. You know, get scared. Because, uh, yeah, it's a scary subject and it's a scary, it is scary what happens. But I think also, I remember really vividly when I was a teenager, I was a really, really angry person. Mm-hmm. Like I could not talk to my parents. Like there were like screaming matches in my house. I was usually screaming, no one else was. I was just so mad. But now I look back and say, I was not just me being a normal teen. Sure. It was me trying to process what had happened to me. So if someone notices something, 
your kid is acting in a way that maybe is not appropriate for their age and it feels a little bit more extreme, don't disregard it. Like, reach out. Reach out to your kid. Maybe ask someone else to reach out. Like, take your kid to a kid's therapist to say, right. you know, maybe they feel more comfortable having a conversation with someone else. Don't just disregard and say, oh, it's the age. This, they're being a teenager. They'll, they'll turn around when they turn like 18. No, they might not. Um, maybe they're scarred for life or maybe they have something so deep inside them that's making them feel so ashamed or embarrassed that they can't address it, but they really want to. And this is their way of it manifesting. Um, so, so providing your children with the confidence and the tools and, and tools. be able to successfully share or to, to be confident enough to share anything with you as a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I'm not getting into that area at all, which is covered extensively in the book about the kids mm-hmm. that have to deal with uh, their own parents abusing them. And, and yep. you know, that's, um, I, I think that's a, that's a full podcast on its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even if we can, because unfortunately, uh, most of these instances, and, 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 and this is a statistic globally, not just child abuse, but even you know, anybody who's sexually attacked or molested, raped, it's a lot of times with someone known to them, or most of the it time it's someone is most uh, of the time. known to them, which is ex- which is yes. also very scary. Uh, yeah. But it's information that we need to keep in mind before yeah. we, you know, teach our kids, yeah. take the right steps to protect them. And I just uh, feel that I'm so grateful to you to have mm-hmm. agreed to come on the podcast and to share your story and. What's more important is, other than share your story, is to people can see that you know you are uh, um, you are who you are. You are a you are a, you are a survivor. You are a well-functioning mm-hmm. adult. Mm-hmm. You have two beautiful kids. You've got a husband that you've been annoying for twenty years, seven, <laughs> seventeen plus years, or twenty years. Yeah, twenty <laughs> years. And I think that's what's you know more most important, and and to continuously keep learning from people like you. I'd rather that we learn, I learn more from real people like you versus um, uh, perhaps an expert or perhaps, I mean, of course, I'd love to get the guy who wrote this book. He would you be can go on a course. <laughs> unbelievable to get him because I just found the way he writes and it's just fascinating, yeah. his experience yeah. with, with all this. But, I, but I'm grateful to you and there are lots and lots and lots of learnings from this podcast. I can see the timer evolving like one hour and 25 minutes. So I don't know, I think it's going to be similar post the edit. <laughs> uh, and I can, I can, you know, go on and we missed talking about your, uh, your fitness regimen, but we spoke about that in the beginning and your nutritional <laughs> regimen. But I think there is so much information for uh, people to process from this. So I'm going to close it, leave yeah. it at that. I want to really thank you again and please put me on the list for the, for the UK people <laughs> when I visit when you, when you, when you come to Delhi uh, and, and we'll be in touch and I'm going to share the work that you've been doing with Reem uh, in yeah. links in the podcast so that people can maybe people want to learn more about Reem or contribute to Reem and I think there's a lot of synergies perhaps for, with Reem with other organizations that I know here so I'll also mm-hmm. try and see what we can do to put Reem in touch with a, a sister uh, you know uh, organization in India uh, so awesome. thank you, thank you everyone for tuning into Voices in My Head. We've recorded for so long, one of my cameras has gone off, so I don't know which oh, camera yeah. to look in now. But uh, <laughs> uh, thank you for tuning into Voices in My Head. 
I am uh, really grateful to Ashna for coming on the podcast and sharing her story and sharing her life. She is a survivor. We all need to learn and become survivors. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe if you're watching on YouTube and you haven't because that's going to help me out a lot. And we will catch you later next time. See you guys. Bye. Voices in my head is created and hosted by Yamir Adhar. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. We disclaim responsibility for any adverse effects that may arise from any information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guests' qualifications or credibility. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.